You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Have we got any Melancholy fans in the house? Melancholy with Sunrise. Does, who watches Sunrise? We've got a couple here. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I love. I love Seven Sunrise. The other week there was this uh, this news story of this guy. It was a pastor in a church uh, called Tim Lucas of Liquid Church in New Jersey. And he decided one Sunday morning like this to give his congregation $30,000. So I thought, well, seeing as Graham's over in the US this morning, um, no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> um, but it sounds like a lottery, right? It sounds, sounds awesome. They all got $30,000. But here was the catch. He gave them $30,000. So they would then go and take that money each. There was an envelope in front of the chairs and they were to go and pay that forward back into their communities. And, and, and rafts of news stories later and coverage on CNN and even Mel and Koshy and Seven Sunrise all the way over here in Sydney, Australia, were talking about this liquid church and how they were giving money into their community. And what it shows us, guys, is that the boundless generosity is not the normal pattern of the world. And I had the world watching. You see, what's, what's, what's true of the church today is just as true as the church back when it first was growing, right? I'll read through the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 5. You see the stories of Ananias and Sapphira and the way that the Christian community would come in and care for each other and give their possessions to one another. Uh, what it was, what's true of the church back then and is today, is that when God establishes a relationship with you, he calls you into a community of boundless generosity, and when people saw this, the news of this community ripped through first century Palestine and the society like lightning rips through the ground when it hits it. You see how the church used their money and their wealth was not a means to doing their mission. It was a communication of their mission. And so in that sense, how the church used their money was part of the way that they communicated the gospel. You see, the funny thing is too, the gospel's like a gobstopper. Have you, anyone ever had a gobstopper? There's the funny little hard lollies that your kids buy for 20 cents outside of Franklin's. The, the, the gospel's like a, a gobstopper. If you want to bite straight into it, it's going to hurt you. So you need to, you need to suck on it for a while. You need to, to, to reveal the layers underneath. You need to taste its flavors over a long period of time. And what it means for us is that if to truly get the gospel means to shape your perspective of, your relationship to, your money. Without giving, there can be no spiritual growth. Why? Because it's one area of the life where the, where the action actually dictates the intention, right? Jesus says, where, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do the action first and then your intentions will follow. So this morning, guys, look, I can put you at ease. I know what you're thinking. We're going to get hit up. It's going to be cards coming down. Bucket. Look, it, there's not going to be a big offering at the end of the message this morning. It's just we're going to share what Jesus says about money. And when we ask the question... How much should Christians give? We see that when Jesus interprets this Old Testament law that we heard from in Deuteronomy, uh, it's something radically different. He assumes that his followers are going to be boundlessly generous. And so, of course, that's a question. How do I know that I'm being generous? How do I know? Well, when I've ever got a question now, there's a, a new iPhone out called the iPhone 4S. There's a great little application on that now called Siri. And Siri is uh, a little lady in your phone artificial intelligence and you can ask Siri all sorts of questions like Siri what's the weather going to be like today and so up pops the weather it's going to be 23 degrees and so you can ask Siri all these sorts of Siri how, how, how do I get to the nearest petrol station and Siri can tell you 
So I thought, being an iPod generation sort of guy, I asked her in the phone, I said, Siri, how much should Christians give? And she said, ask Jesus. <laughs> so that's what I had to do. I had to go to the... See, Christians aim... First of all, when I asked Jesus, uh, what I saw from these passages is that Christians aim for the standard of generosity, the standard of generosity, the tithe, 10%. And so what Jesus is saying in, in, Luke, in the Luke passage that we read from is that there's actually a standard to giving. There's actually a benchmark to see if you're actually living in generous proportions. It's called the tithe, 10%. He, he wants us to be generous. And so he says in Luke 11.42, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Now, this is great. See what Jesus is doing here? The, the Pharisees were tithers. They, they were tithing. They were, they were obeying, the, obeying the Old Testament law where God prescribed that a tenth of one in, one's income, this is in the book of Leviticus, was to be given into the, the temple or the church of the day in order to help build ministry and to look after the poor. And so they were giving away 10% of their income. Now, here's, here's what's so intriguing about this Old Testament guideline. is that How does Jesus regard it? What's fascinating about Luke 11.42 is, you see, because for years people, I don't know about you, but people are always debating how we relate to the Old Testament laws. Does that that apply to me? What what do I do with this? Because we find all sorts of interesting Old Testament laws back in those early books, like not mixing the fibres of your clothes. You can't mix wool and linen together. Duh. Look ugly. You must grow a beard, which I thank the Lord for Jesus Christ and that he's fulfilled the law because it would take me about 30 years to grow a beard with the baby face that I have. Here's an interesting one. Ladies, it says, if, two men, if your man is fighting, if two men are fi- fighting, then no grabbing them by the private parts. Deuteron- I kid you not, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 11 to 12, you can look it up. And, and then we go into the New Testament and we hear, of course, Jesus saying, well, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, look, I can do away with the grabbing bit, but the love your neighbor as yourself, I, I can handle that. That one doesn't apply, but this one applies to me. Which is it? Which, which is it? Now, look, it's one thing to wonder about some of the more obscure parts of the Old Testament, but if Jesus pulls something specific from the Old Testament, and speaks and teaches on it, then we should listen. And if ever there was a place that... Jesus was always doing away with the regulations, right? If ever there was a place in which Jesus would do away with an Old Testament regulation, it would be here, right? Because he's with the Pharisees. Jesus always seems to be yelling at the Pharisees. He's the only ones that he he yells at. He, He doesn't yell at the pimps and the prostitutes. It's the Pharisees because they're taking these laws and they're turning them into regulation. And and so he's saying, woe to you, you vipers. And so here's the thing. If ever there was an opportunity for Jesus to loosen the tithe and get rid of it, it would be here, right? If ever there was a place you know, for him to say, just don't worry about it, would he? You know, we often think Jesus is about just freedom, no more rules and laws. But, but what does he say? Does he say, you legalists, this idea of the tithe, it's old school, it's oppressive, forget about it? No, what does he say? He says, the tithe, it's not enough. Luke 11.42, why do you Pharisees? Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden. What he's saying is the tithe is good. The tithe is good, but you're neglecting the love of God. So what it means, guys, this morning is that we need to take the tithe seriously. So you're asking, how do I know if I'm living generously? Jesus says, test yourself. Can you give your money away in biblical proportions? How about starting at 10%? 
Jesus sees the tithe as a very concrete way in which we can tell if we're giving in biblical proportions. So Christians aim for that standard, and we're not all there, there, so there's no need to freak out. It's something we're growing towards. But Christians also experience sacrifice in generosity. See, the funny thing is Jesus is affirming the Pharisees in in that, that verse. He's saying it's good, you're keeping the tithe, but he also reprimands them. He gives them a a spiritual kick up the backside. He says, woe to you, 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 you're doing the tithing, but you neglect the justice and love of God. What he's doing is he's criticizing them because they're only giving as much as the tithe. He's pronouncing this woe because, look, if they went and had a bit of peppermint in their herb garden, they'd pick off 10 leaves and they'd go and take one leaf away to the temple. That's, that's That's how good they were at keeping these laws. Getting all the leaves and take it out there. So they're keeping the tithe. But see, the thing for the Pharisees is they thought once they had fulfilled that, then that's all they needed to do for the rest of the God's community. And that's why, as one commentator puts it, the demand of the Christian tithe can become a dangerous thing for it permits the false conclusion that the problem of money has been met and conquered. So what it means is like the church can't demand that you give a certain amount into the church. But what, what it's saying is that Jesus assumes his followers are actually going to go beyond the tithe. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my approach, you know, I, I'm always thinking, look, I, God, if, if I can just carve away this bit for you, then this stuff is mine. <laughs> this bit for you, and then this stuff is mine. That's what I, 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 I get to keep. And, and, and it seems incongruous to give more than 10% away to God because I've worked for all that I have. And I've studied hard for all that I have. It doesn't make sense. I got myself here. But let me ask you, who, who gave you the brains to get where you are? Who, 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 who helped you interview well? It's like the story, two worms fall from the sky. One falls into a crack in the cement and the other falls into a dead cat. The worm, after about three or four days in the crack in the cement, malnourished, weakened, looks over to the other worm and the dead cat and he says, Dear sir, to what do you attribute your success? And that worm turned to him and said, Well, hard work and a sound strategic vision. (laughs) Come on, guys. Coming out of LA's fog... And into the leafy suburbs of Sydney's lower North Shore, I went, I have come home to my dead cat. <laughs> Seriously, we, we live in the middle of a dead cat. Where did all this blessing come from? And so to, to give God back 10%, I reckon that's a good deal. I reckon it's a good deal. Hard work and a sound strategic vision. Hey, the other question is, some of you might be thinking, what if I can't give 10%? So what I love about our God is he thought about that too, because when you look through the laws of Moses, there was actually a sliding scale in the giving at the temple there. So some people, if you were poor, you'd offer up a a pigeon. And if you're really rich, then you would offer up a bullock or an ox or some big offering. And the offering was done in, in animals because that's where you stored your wealth. There was no ING super saver. Back at uh, the first century uh, Jerusalem there, you, you stored your wealth in animals. And so this whole process of sacrificing an animal to the temple was to loosen our hearts from our attachment to our wealth. And there was a sliding scale. So, so when you see that, what it meant, in other words, is that the historical experts tell us that if a certain person was to go and give an ox, it was almost certainly more difficult for the person that was giving a pigeon because that still represented as a percentage 
a lot more of their income. So in other words, a wealthy person could give a gift of 20% of their annual income and still not have any sacrifice in their ordinary daily lives. That's what I love. What we see here is that God is not interested so much in a percentage level of your giving as he is in the sacrifice. I call it the spin class principle. I don't know if you've been to Fitness First. Some of you may not. You're at different stages of life and that's okay. <laughs> but I, whenever I went to Fitness First, I used to go to uh, the spin classes there on, on, on the bikes. And they are all, they are, they're an interesting social subculture, these spin classes, because all sorts of people dress up in their lycra. And I've got to say, no mixing wool and linen. Lycra, lycra is certainly a New Testament fabric. And... Um, and I love my Lycra. And I'm, I'm, there on, I'm, I'm there on the spin bike. And you can see people that get the iPods. They've got the hair in the ponytail. And they're spinning away. And it's just great. And, and they're not even breaking into a sweat. And I'm thinking, on the other hand, there's this person sitting next to me. And they look green. They're about to vomit. And, but it's the same music. It's the same pace. It's the same beats per, per minute. How can one person just be spinning away and the other person about to vomit? <laughs> Well, I discovered it with a, a, my fitness instructor. She used to look straight at me and she used to say, earn the burn, earn the burn. And she sounded like she was on some sort of performance enhancing things. But um, she said, earn the burn, turn it up, turn up the resistance. You see, some people in that class, although it was the same music and the same pace, were working at a deeper level of resistance. What it says to us this morning, God is saying when you're giving is that you've got to earn the burn. We can turn up here and do church like a fitness first spin class. We can sing the songs, we can spin at the same pace, but while some are whistling away, others are giving almost to the point of vomiting. And I know that for a fact behind the scenes. So what Jesus' woes are saying to us, he's saying it's not enough just to cover your own obligations in life. Christians experience sacrifice in generosity. And you know you're being generous if it involves sacrifice. And then Christians exhibit the signs of, of generosity. I was talking to one of our leaders, and when they were processing this, they're saying, you know what, after coming to talk about all this generosity stuff, I don't know if I even want to change. I don't know if I want to do this. I feel scared. I don't know if I want to give this sort of stuff up. Jesus is asking a lot, lot of me. And, you know, God, God said to me in that moment, and when I've been processing this myself, He's saying, Sam, if I could turn you into the sort of person that could give away 50% of your income and be more joyful and more satisfied than you, than you are now, he said to me, would you be interested? You know, you know what? Some people hear that and they go, yep, <laughs> I'm in. And other people say, no, forget it. This is impossible. No one, no one can give away 50% of their income like that. And that's what I love about God. He's a great master chef, isn't he? He's sort of like, here's one I've prepared earlier. And in Luke 19, we hear the story of Zacchaeus. And he's a, he's a guy in the Bible, probably one I can relate to the most because he was a shorter guy. He was a little guy. And, um, and in other ways, he understood what money was all about. He was a tax collector. He was defrauding people. He was ripping them off. He was rich. And he sold out for his uh, national heritage for the sake of money. And see, what with Zacchaeus, it shows us that Jesus can change your attitude towards your money. When Jesus calls him down out of the tree, because he was shorter, he had to get up to see Jesus. And Jesus calls Zacchaeus down. He says, I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. He says, uh, Zacchaeus uh, place his trust, places his trust in Jesus. He's saved. And look at what happens when he receives uh, God's grace and his salvation, his actions. He says, you know what? I'm going to give away 50% of my income. 
And not only that, he, he offers anyone that he defrauded restitution. He says, I'm going to pay back four times over. If I've, if I've swindled you out of money, I'm going to pay back four times whatever you did. And the interesting thing is when you look back in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, the, the rules said, the rules said, if you defrauded someone, you only needed to pay them 120%. So he, rules say 120%. This guy's giving 400%. What it's saying is these actions go way past. These actions go beyond. They're boundless. They go beyond the requirements. And not just a change in action, but he's in, in his attitude. He's joyful. He's happy about it. He doesn't complain about it. He goes up to him and, and he says, look, Lord, look what I'm doing. And it wasn't an egotistical look, Jesus. See what I'm doing, giving away my money? It was the same way that a young kid would go up to their parents and say, look, mummy, look, daddy, look what I did for you. How do you go from being a fraudster to one of the greatest givers that we see in the Bible? It's because people who get grace move beyond regulation with joy. They move beyond Someone, so you, some, some of you got to be saying here, Sam, I don't get it. Because you, you hear the rich young ruler, Jesus tells him to do 100%, give away 100% of his money. Now Jesus is happy with only 50% here. And then you're telling me that the Old Testament says 10%. What is it? 10%, 50%, 100%? Here's the point. If you're looking for rules if you're thinking that way when Jesus is calling you into an adventure. You're looking for percentages when he's looking for you, for you to join him on a pilgrimage. What I learned from Z the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus and all these sort of stories in the Bible is that we've all got a tendency to say, how much have I got to give? Just give me the requirements. But, but when you get the freedom from money and you experience God and all that he's done for you, you're going to start saying, I can't find a way to push beyond the 10%. I can't find a way to bless people. Jesus says... I I'm calling you into an adventure and you're, you're, you're sitting around saying, how much is this going to be? Here's the thing. If, if you're saying, I don't know if I've got that sort of freedom to be that generous. If you're saying it's ridiculous to even be talking about 10 or 20 or 30%, then you haven't got the gospel. Thinking like a religious person, thinking what great thing have I got to do in this realm so that God has got to bless me. You know, and the other side of it is, if anyone's out there, you know, starting to feel guilty by what, by what Sam's saying, you know, starting to feel guilty hearing this sort of stuff, then you're not getting the gospel either. Gospel's like a gobstopper, right? It's got to keep sucking on it, bite down on it hard, and it's going to hurt you. You've got to do what Zacchaeus did: get up in a tree, do whatever you can in order to get a closer look at Jesus. Zacchaeus got up for a glimpse of Jesus, and instead he got an eyeful of grace. And when he looked at Jesus, you know what he saw? At at the cross, you see Jesus becoming poor so you, you can become rich. At the cross, you see a God not emptying his pockets of money, but emptying his pockets of his own son. And when you see at the cross why God is doing that, because he sees you as his treasure, then you can make God your treasure. Friends, he's... Do you need to see Jesus a bit closer this morning? He calls you not into rules and regulations, or guilt for that matter, but into a great adventure. And that's the generosity equation for Christians. The generosity. When Christians think about calculating uh, uh, giving, they, they don't reach for the calculator, they reach for a cross. And they see what God had given up in the person of Jesus Christ and his own son. Because willpower is not going to do it. 
You've got to get up in a tree. You've got to see Jesus a bit closer. Christians don't give in response to regulation, but in regards to grace. And so finally, the question is, how do I become that sort of person? And the answer is community. It's community. It might take you years to bring yourself into a situation in which you give like this. And that's okay. That's what we're saying this morning. We're just learning about it, hearing from Jesus. It's a gradual process. Call it the Pantene process. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. And here's the thing. You cannot trust yourself to, to do this on your own. You can't because why? I'm speaking from experience. The minute you start thinking about increasing your giving, your giving there's going to be a little self-justification in, engine that's going to start up in your heart like a pool pump. It's going to start up. It's going to give you all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't be giving. Oh, you know, I've got this coming up. I've got this coming up. You know, and it's going to kick in like a pool pump. You know, but the interesting thing is, I said to the guys, I went for a ride with the Northside Peloton a couple of weeks back, talking about Lycra, and um, and we went on exactly the same run at West Head, and I went out there with them, and there was a bunch of us that went out there and up and over the hills, and I completed that ride six minutes faster than I did the week before. I know, incredible. Well. That's like over 20% of the ride. You're thinking, Sam, boundless generosity. Like you were, you were, how, how did you do that? That's because if, every time we would, we would get to a hill, they'd go, come on, Haddon, stop slacking off. <laughs> every time I'd start to feel the burn in the legs, instead of backing off, they'd go, come on, come on, you can make it. Let's get up the hill, let's go. <laughs> See, whether you're on a road bike or here in church, it shows us that the power of community to encourage you and to hold you accountable. Community is so important. That's why your commitment to a church, it's often why a lot of people don't want to commit to church because they know in this area, church is going to call them to, call them to a commitment in this area. And the minute we feel like there's any resistance against our own desires, we just back it off a touch. <laughs> but you see, guys, the teachings of Jesus is like a whopping great hill in the distance. And we look at it and we go, that is impossible to get up in the gears that I'm in in my life at the moment. And we finally get against it. Everything within you wants to back off and to sit back. You can't trust yourself in this area alone. So get alongside someone. Get into a connection group. Get into community. Pray through it with a spouse or a friend. Someone to call you accountable. Come on, Dad, get up the hill. Or to encourage you. You can do this. It's not impossible. Let me finish with this. There was a generosity study with, by Ronsvale and Ronsvale called the Midas Trap. And in it, they demonstrated that if all American Christians would tithe, there would not, uh, there, there would, uh, not only would all the Christian ministries continue to be supported, but theoretically, there would be enough money if distributed to all the poor in the world to lift them all above the poverty line. The greatest problem in the church today is not that people don't give. I know many of you give in incredible ways. I know many of you have given in incredible ways. But the biggest problem in the church today worldwide is not that people don't give, it's that they don't give in biblical proportions. And so I'm here to ask you, Jesus is asking you this morning, are you living a life of boundless generosity? Are you living a life that aims for the standards of generosity, that's experiencing the sacrifices of generosity? that's exhibiting the signs of generosity. Guys, we can talk all we want on a Sunday about mission and gospel and salvation, all the great big words of the Bible, but until we enter into the discipline of giving our money away in biblical proportions, there'll be no growth. This place is going to look like a fitness first spin class. You've got to earn the burn. And if we're serious about our growth individually and corporately as a church, 
then we have to be constantly, not just once a year, looking at how the gospel shapes our view and our relationship to our money. We need to examine how we spend our money, why we don't give more than we do. We need to repent of the reasons why we don't and then rearrange our lives bit by bit until we gradually grow into it. Because look, if we don't push through the fear and the pain and the resentment... <laughs> of such examination of our own hearts, we'll deny ourselves the greater joy and the greater freedom and the greater healing for our city that only boundless generosity can bring. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is such a tough area. Lord, I know there are so many emotions. It could be people right now going, this is frustrating, it could be agitated, it could be angry. Whenever we bring money into the sphere of the church and allow the gospel to be applied to our own lives, um, it stirs up many emotions in us. Father, we recognize that this morning. and We just pray that by your Holy Spirit uh, that you might just open our hearts and melt our hearts and uh, open our eyes to what you are teaching us through the radical words of your Son, Jesus Christ. I need your help, Lord, to continue to grow in this area. We all need your help, Lord, to grow in this area. And so we pray this week. We do community with one another. Will you speak to us through the friendships, through your word, through the very people around us, what each and every one of our parts in this place might look like. Lord, greater than that, will you help to paint in our minds a vision of what if, what if this humble little church in the middle of this dead cat that is the lower North Shore might stand up and say, Lord, we recognize all of the blessing that we have in our life comes from you. And so in that way, we want to honor that. We want to be responsible, responsible stewards of that. And so therefore, this week, Father, we each individually take a tangible step forward. Step back. And allow you to grow us. We pray this in Jesus' name.